Hope you had a fantastic weekend in the wild and wacky world of sports and beyond. We have some fun in store for you today, including three great guests. The national championship game of college football is one week away. Did you know they're both named the Tigers? Did you know they both claim to play in a venue called Death Valley. There can be only one true Death Valley, right? Ryan McGee of ESPN will drop by to talk college football. Tua Tungavailoa, Alabama quarterback, as we speak, is letting the NFL know whether he will join several of his superstar underclassmen teammates with the Crimson Tide by foregoing the remainder of eligibility, or will he stay in school for one more year for that Nick Saban guy. Y'all know the NFL playoffs are front and center, including as we play a game called Best and Worst of the Weekend. What does that mean? Well, as we allow Ryan McGee of ESPN in on college football, as we invite Jim Zoki of your Carolina Panthers broadcast team to drop by on, among other things, the playoffs and where does David Tepper, Panthers owner, go from here now that one of his targets, a guy that he interviewed twice, Mike McCarthy, formerly of the Green Bay Packers. You may have heard by now, he's going to be the next head coach of the Dallas Cowboys instead. Now, David Tepper has already interviewed others. Was McCarthy his favorite and Jerry Jones beat him to the punch? Or maybe he likes somebody better. Which one did you like? Are you sad or happy? as Mike McCarthy goes to the Cowboys as the Panthers continue their search, as do the New York Giants and the Cleveland Browns. That Ron Rivera guy, of course, has settled in Washington. Not as many vacancies as we originally thought in the NFL, but the coaching carousel is big news in the backdrop. Did you know that no man had ever been on the list of head coaches in both of the most storied franchises in NFL history, or among them at least, the Green Bay Packers and the Dallas Cowboys. Until now, it had been Vince Lombardi and all those other dudes with the Packers, and Tom Landry and Jimmy Johnson and all those other dudes, Jason Garrett most recently with the Cowboys, and there had never been a name on both of those lists. Well, now that has changed Mike McCarthy, formerly of the Packers, Heading to Dallas, according to news reports earlier today. The, Cow the Packers, of course, are that rare owned by the general public type franchise. I have a feeling Mike McCarthy will learn quickly if he has not digested it already. Jerry Jones does things just a little bit differently in Dallas than the structure in Green Bay. One domino falls on the coaching carousel. Meanwhile, as we celebrate the best and worst of whatever you saw around the weekend of sports, Eric Montross of the Tar Heel Sports Network is going to drop by. He and his son Andrew caught a hockey game with my on-the-glass seats and as part of the process last night or yesterday. Early evening start for the Carolina Hurricanes. Great to see the Big E in person. Great to have him back on the show. The Tar Heels were a worst-of-the-weekend nominee for many. They were not alone. Carolina basketball, NC State basketball. The Tar Heels embarrassed so badly at home by Georgia Tech that Roy Williams was essentially inconsolable in the aftermath and actually said, we have some of the audio for you, that he has never been lower as a head coach, period. He's distraught. 
He thinks that he said out loud, some of my players are not even listening to me. I have never heard Roy say some of the things that he said yesterday as the heels are embarrassed at home by Georgia Tech. NC State visited one of the other lesser teams in the ACC, the Clemson Tigers, and the Wolfpack came home with a loss at Little John. That has happened before. It wasn't expected to happen again. The NC State women continue to play great basketball. The NC State men took a step back is as did the North Carolina Tar Heels those were among the leading vote getters for worst of the weekend the New Orleans Saints and the New England Patriots along with the Carolina Hurricanes who actually went 0-2 against really good competition this weekend more worst of the weekend best of the weekend all over the place and our Monday afternoon platform as we come at you live in almost 300 North Carolina cities and towns is called best and worst of the weekend as we talk college hoops with Eric Montross as we talk college football with Ryan McGee as we talk NFL and Panthers and coaching searches with Jim Zoki we invite your participation forever wherever you might be in our state wide audience or around the world all you have to do is dial this number and you can tell us what was the best thing you saw anywhere in the sports universe over these last three days since we were last together what was the worst thing you saw anywhere in the sports universe or perhaps you just have a question that you think we might be able to help you answer was the vikings winning touchdown catch against the saints Really a missed offensive pass interference call? One more season-ending walk-off play for the New Orleans Saints that goes the wrong way for Drew Brees and Sean Payton and company. Did Seattle's Jadavian Clowney get away with an illegal headshot on Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz that knocked him out of the game and gave Russell Wilson and the Seahawks quite an advantage for about three quarters of that ball game. Was that a missed call? Was it really legal for the Titans to bleed about two minutes off the clock by just repeatedly having intentional penalties as Bill Belichick is pulling his hair out for the Patriots on the other sideline. What a win. What games, actually. I will raise a glass to the NFL playoffs as a whole. There were other best of the weekends. From the NHL, the Capitals, and the Lightning are playing great hockey this weekend at the Carolina Hurricanes' expense. The Bucks, the Celtics, the Lakers, the Jazz, the Rockets, the Thunder... Even the Charlotte Hornets got some love in the NBA this weekend. Justin Thomas won again on the PGA Tour, beating fellow Americans Patrick Reed and Xander Shoffley in a playoff in prime time last night out in Hawaii. I caught the end of that after attending the Canes game against Tampa Bay. And meanwhile, in the NFL, that's where most of the best of the weekend votes came from. Before we get to Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson, or Titans running back Derrick Henry, or Seattle wide receiver DK Metcalf, who was phenomenal as Russell Wilson's number one target against the Eagles, or even Dalvin Cook. Kirk Cousins got that elusive playoff win. Dalvin Cook was the star for the Vikings as they went to New Orleans and beat the Saints. Before we get into the players, can we just raise a glass after some duds like remember clemson over ohio state was a thriller buckeyes fans still feeling begrudged that they got screwed out of a would-be semifinal win and trip to the ncaa or national championship game you have to say in college football but the other one was a snoozer right lsu over oklahoma we've had a lot of snoozers in a lot of contexts 
Not this weekend in the NFL. There were four compelling close games that ended in all four cases with one possession margins of victory, two of the four in overtime, and three of the four with the road warrior getting the victory at the expense of, in some cases, home teams that don't lose often at home, period, and especially don't lose playoff games at home very often. Texans over the Bills in overtime. Titans went to Foxborough and beat the Patriots. Seattle went to Philly and beat the Eagles. Minnesota went to New Orleans and beat the Saints. What was the best thing you saw anywhere in the sports universe and what made it that? What was the worst thing you saw anywhere in the sports universe and what made it that? We'll get into the strangest, most controversial plays of the NFL's wildcard weekend. We will celebrate the best and worst of the gridiron college and pro. We'll keep you up to date on Tua Tungavailoa's decision for the Alabama Crimson Tide. As we speak, he is announcing and making official he is moving on to the National Football League. There was some question because the last two years involved both sensational statistics. Like if you haven't taken a peek because, you know, the Tide didn't make the playoff this year, ridiculous statistics. Running, passing, throwing accuracy, of course, win-loss total, and all the rest. He's an amazing young man and a phenomenal quarterback. Also, two years of significant injuries. So the question was, would Tua be taking a big risk just by playing college football and risking more injury? Or would he be taking a risk that the NFL folks weren't sure that he was worth a high first-round pick because he hasn't been able to stay healthy at the college level, maybe that would lead to some concerns at the pro level. Mel Kuyper still has him number three on his big board. And if you are drafted that high in the first round, of course, that is life-changing money and stability in the form of that rookie contract. Tua Tungavailoa, as we speak, making official his announcement to turn pro. That's about the fourth, I think, Crimson Tide underclassmen I've seen so far. A couple other guys have said they're coming back for Nick Saban, but we're up to four or five juniors or redshirt sophomores that have decided to move on. The Tide, of course, losing a lot of really good seniors as well. The coaching carousel continues to spin just a hair in college football. It continues to spin far more importantly for your Carolina Panthers and the Cleveland Browns and the New York Giants as Washington has Ron Rivera and as we learned earlier today, Dallas now has Mike McCarthy. McCarthy interviewed with the Browns, with the Giants, with the Panthers, and with the Cowboys, I don't think Washington snuck him in for an interview, but Mike McCarthy had interviewed with the other four teams that have vacancies. Jerry Jones actually had a sleepover party this weekend. I'm not kidding. Mike McCarthy slept at Jerry Jones's house. I'm not sure all the gory details there, but Jerry indeed did get his man. Darren Vaught is the producer of this program. Intern Will will be the first voice you hear when you dial the number 1-800-849-2761. What was the best thing you saw anywhere in the sports universe? I have a lot more of my own answers to that question. What was the worst thing you saw officiating ugly loss or otherwise? And what about those controversial plays? There was almost a touchback touchdown in the National Football League wildcard playoffs. Did you see that play? The guy was in the end zone. He didn't kneel, and he didn't run, and he just tossed the ball to the official, and momentarily it looked like it was going to be a touchdown for the kicking team when the referee didn't catch the ball and just let it fall to the ground. 
I had to kind of just knock my head to remember what the rule was there. They had reversed that. That was not a touchback touchdown, but one of the many crazy plays in what turned out to be four really compelling matchups in the NFL postseason. Even better matchups in some cases this coming weekend as the Vikings visit the 49ers and the Seahawks visit the Packers in the NFC. I view both of those as harder to predict. In the AFC, I'll be surprised if the Titans can go to Baltimore and beat the Ravens. I'll be surprised if the Texans can go to Kansas City and beat the Chiefs. I think KC and Baltimore might be the two best teams in the NFL, and they're on the same side of the bracket. Of course, the Niners and the Packers also get to watch and learn and rest and get healthier as those other eight playoff participants went head-to-head Saturday and yesterday. Kevin in Jamestown must be a loyal veteran listener. He knows to dial us up before the first break. Eric Montross later this hour on college basketball. Ryan McGee of ESPN on college football. Jim Zoki of the Panthers on all things NFL and where the Panthers go from here now that Mike McCarthy is headed to Dallas. 1-800-849-2761. I have a lot more on the Wolfpack, the Tar Heels. Nice wins by Duke and Wake and others in college basketball. Ball. Rough weekend for the Canes. Fun weekend for NFL fans. A lot going on in the NBA. You can be next with your question, comment, or your best or worst of the weekend. 1-800-849-2761 is how you can join us next on the David Glenn Show. Kurt Busch is joining us, 38-year-old champion of the Daytona 500. I went out with Gronk last night after uh, after we won the race. Did you and really? Also, it was fun. Got about an hour's sleep. I asked him, I go, hey, when do you have to report to training camp? He goes, July. I said, well, we can't be friends because i got to <laughs> go back to racing. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show. Show. This is one of my favorite songs from my childhood, Darren Vaughn. Well played by you. I have a feeling you are not flashing back to the 1980s. Just to play Should I Stay or Should I Go by The Clash. I have a feeling instead you know the Tua Tungavailoa of Alabama just decided that he should go while others are still playing the Clash game, Should I Stay or Should I Go? Well played, young man. You can't slip that past the old dude. Eric Montross on college basketball later this hour. Ryan McGee on college football in hour number three. Jim Zoki will help us understand the coaching carousel from the Panthers' perspective. What does David Tepper do from here now that Mike McCarthy is going to sign with Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys instead? We're also playing best and worst of the weekend. Kevin in Jamestown is going to be first up. Matt wants in from Raleigh. Others from Wilmington and Greenville to our east. Boone and Asheville and High Point and Winston-Salem to our west. West. What was the best thing you saw anywhere in the sports universe over the last three days and what made it that? What was the worst thing you saw and what made it that? We're also trying to help you through some of the strangest and most controversial plays, what turned out to be a fantastic NFL wildcard weekend. So first, credit Deshaun Watson and the Texans. Credit Derrick Henry and the Titans. Credit Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf and the Seahawks. And Dal- Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. In all four cases, by the way, the defense carried a big load as well. I'm just crediting the offensive stars. Along with those best or worst of the weekend, the Saints and the Patriots joined the basketball Wolfpack and Tar Heels as the leaders in that category. The strange controversial plays included 
the Vikings getting a winning touchdown catch as Saints fans were calling for offensive pass interference. As we go to Kevin in Jamestown and the rest of your best and worst of the weekend calls, I don't often feel bad for a single fan base. And I'm not even diving in yet to the details of that single play, right? You have an entire game to try to win. So it usually doesn't boil down to a single play. It is three straight really weird playoff exits for Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. And as today's biggest headlines do include, yes, Mike McCarthy, the new head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Tua is joining the NFL from Alabama a year early. And 41-year-old Drew Brees, that's what he turns later this month, 42-year-old Tom Brady, both lost at home in very winnable games to end their seasons and the sand continues to pour through the hourglass, folks. If you're almost 41 and already 42, and you were actually part of the problem, the Patriots' defense was record-setting all year long, and all year you heard the Patriots' offensive ineptitude is going to catch up to them. It's going to catch up to them. Brady doesn't have a magic wand to make that group look better in the playoffs after fumbling and bumbling and stumbling a lot in the, po in the regular season. Well, guess what? 20-13 to 13 was the final as the Titans went to Foxborough and beat New England. Similarly, the Saints' offense could muster only 20 points in a game that went to overtime. The ending, though, remember two years ago, it was the Minneapolis miracle with Stephon Diggs making that unbelievable catch to send the Saints home in a completely disheartening walk-off kind of way. Last year, it was the Rams not getting called for that obvious pass interference as the Saints lost, and it was the Rams that moved on to the Super Bowl. This is the third year in a row. You could rank them in order of pain, as they're doing in New Orleans right now. But it was, why did that rule get created? That pass interference for the first time in NFL history was reviewable. Well, it was created entirely because of what happened in the Rams-Saints playoff game last year. Every person on earth, except those wearing zebra stripes, saw that. It was clear. Nobody argues that was pass interference against the Rams. There was no way to correct the wrong. Under the rules at the time, pass interference is just a judgment call. It's not one of the many things that is reviewable. So they changed it because it was so obvious. And then, for, of course, it's like an NFL version of Murphy's Law. The Vikings and the Saints go to overtime. And the Vikings' Kyle Rudolph makes a catch in the corner of the end zone after clearly extending his arms and pushing off the D-back. Now, Al Riveron said later, yeah, there was hand play and there was pushing, but nothing that rose to the level of a foul. Well, for the first time in NFL history, regardless of what they said on the field, and they did not call pass interference, they could review it. So would it be the Saints one year after being the inspiration for this new rule, actually benefiting from the rule the year after they were the victim when there was no rule? Not so fast, my friend, as was the trend throughout the regular season. They stayed with the call on the field. And that doesn't mean there wasn't offensive pass interference. There probably was. But it's one of those things where unless it's just outrageous, egregious, like the Rams play a year ago that went against the Saints, they're going to leave it up to the guys who had the better point of view from there on the field in live time during live action. They didn't say Kyle Rudolph didn't do anything wrong, really. They just said it didn't rise to the level of overturning the call on the field. 
And that's one big reason, not the only reason, but one big reason. It's Minnesota moving on and the Saints once again home for the rest of the holidays, as the saying goes. Kevin in Jamestown has a couple of these things on his mind. Welcome to the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Thank you, David. Sure, man. Well, you know, I couldn't be happier than to beat the Saints. Behind the Packers, there's no team I dislike more. And, you know, I'm so happy to just to be moving on. And y'all keep sleeping on us, and we'll just keep moving on. That's what I'll say. But I, I like the, the Vikings. Goes, you, I think if you're a well, regular listener, you know how much I like the Vikings. So I'm not counting them out against the 49ers. So I know others are counting your team out. The Vikings have been one of my favorites all year long. Well, Get on the bus. There's plenty of room. <laughs> Everybody's counting us out. But as far as the Saints go, look, you can go back to that Rams game. They had plenty of chances to, to win that game before that happened. Was it pass interference last year? Obviously. Yeah. Yesterday, you know what? If you got a problem with it, don't let us get down to the two-yard line. And another thing, karma is something. If you don't believe in karma, you better believe in it now if you're a Saints fan. Because Bounty Gate, I believe this is karma. Like, just it. It's got it written all over it, and, you know, I don't know why, but I just don't like Sean Payton. I know he's a great coach and a good guy. Just something about him, I I can't stand the guy. (laughs) Hey, by the way, you mentioned that the Saints missed opportunities against the Rams, and, of course, we had this discussion last year at this time. It felt like most of the show was dedicated to that missed pass interference play. Not only are you correct, Kevin, that the Saints missed opportunities prior to the controversial missed call. Again, we all agree New Orleans got screwed. We all agree it was pass interference. They missed opportunities after, right? Drew Brees didn't have to throw that interception uh, once the game resumed, and they had a second chance to win, if you will. So uh, I'm with you on that. That's why I always say no matter how big any single missed call might be, there's always chances before, usually after, uh, and in between to, to right the wrong, if you will. I do think the Saints have had now three straight extraordinary exits. And those are in the years that Drew Brees was about to turn 39 and 40 and now about to turn 41. It's getting crazy for two of the best quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. Remember, both guys are on expiring contracts. I mean, I know Brady is. Tom Brady officially becomes a free agent on March 18th. Bob Kraft just chimed in on his future, the Patriots owner. Brady just chimed in on his future by saying, it is pretty unlikely, that's in quotes, that I'm going to retire. Well, guess what Bob Kraft said? He hopes that either Brady retires or stays with the Patriots. Well, Brady just said, doesn't sound like retirement's likely at all. So what does that mean? Belichick dodged the question. Kraft and Brady, to a degree, answered the question. The Titans went to Foxborough and eliminated the Patriots. The Vikings went to New Orleans and and beat the Saints. Those are supposed to be two teams with veteran quarterbacks that are almost – Impossible to beat at home, especially with the season on the line. And yet the New Orleans offense and the Patriots offense are the main reason they're not there. You have to you have to produce more than 13 points if you're Tom Brady. And in a game that goes to overtime, you have to produce more than 20 if you're Drew Brees. Those guys, especially Brees, had a very productive year. Brady's numbers, of course, were down after his hot start. I still think they have something left in the tank. But those two franchises have some big decisions to make, and those two men obviously have big decisions of their own as they're in their early 40s. Eric Montross of the Tar Heel Sports Network was there as the Tar Heels 
were completely embarrassed at home by Georgia Tech, and Roy Williams seemed inconsolable in the aftermath. He said things about this year's Carolina team that he said have never applied to any other team that he has coached, and I don't mean in a good way. Eric Montross, I happened to see him last night at the Carolina Hurricanes hockey game. We happen to talk to him on the other side. 1-800-849-2761 is how you can join us with your best or worst of the weekend a little bit later in today's program. Jim Zoki on where the Panthers go from here now that one of their tar- targets, Mike McCarthy, has signed with the Dallas Cowboys or is in the process of doing so. Ryan McGee on the national title game that awaits us one week from tonight. LSU against Clemson and, of course, Tua Tungavailoa's recent decision to jump to the NFL after his three seasons with the Alabama Crimson Tide. Those guests are later. Eric Montross on the other side. You can join us in between. Where does the Wolfpack go from here after losing at Clemson by double digits? And where do the Tar Heels go from here? Still no Cole Anthony after his knee injury. And the ugly losses continue to pile up as answers are really difficult for Roy Williams to find. Eric Montross on those stories and more next on the David Glenn Show. Rob Schneider joining us on the David Glenn Show. When they try to have three days of the NFL draft on TV, my friends said, hey, you going to watch the NFL draft? That's like getting excited about a strip club that's still under construction. <laughs> like you see that building over there in a couple of months? There's going to be some breasts in there. You're listening to the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Our next guests joined me in my on-the-glass seats for the Carolina Hurricanes hockey game yesterday. More importantly, he played college and pro basketball with distinction. He is now part of the Tar Heel Sports Network as an analyst with Jones Angel at the call. Eric Montross, national champion with the Tar Heels under Dean Smith in 1993, now on the call for Roy Williams' Tar Heels as they suffered another ugly loss yesterday, this one or Saturday, this one to Georgia Tech. Roy Williams appeared inconsolable in the aftermath. We welcome in Eric Montross. Big E, I thought it was classy that you declined front row on the glass seats at the hockey game yesterday. Is that because when you're seven feet tall, you are concerned about the people seated behind you? Or is it like the TV broadcast that you don't want to mess up? How does that work in your world? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's something that I think, obviously, um, I'm not an easy one to look over the top of. But, <laughs> uh, but, but I'm also really good at looking over the top of the person in front of me. So we had an absolute ball last night. And, uh, Always enjoy your company. And right back at you. It was great to see your son, Andrew, as well. Andrew did get some time on the glass, just so everybody knows that the Montrose family, friends of the David Glenn Show, uh, went home smiling, even though the Canes did not win. One more quick thing about yesterday and then on to basketball. You were kind to pose for photos. Uh, you know, a lot of famous people can fly under the radar, right? I guess when you're seven feet tall, that is not an option. And and does the PNC Arena need to be retrofitted for seven-footers? Because when I followed you up the steps, I promise you, I've never ducked anywhere in PNC Arena, Eric. <laughs> and, and you had at the top of the steps, what was it, like a little overhang where either you're paying attention and just duck a little or you're going home with a large mark across your forehead. Yeah, it's something that I'm um, definitely used to ducking. And, you know, when, when when I'm over there at PNC, I understand that they're not catering to the Tar Heels. So it's <laughs> something that I totally get it. Uh, I'm happy to duck and uh, 
and and certainly uh, a warm reception. That is a terrific atmosphere for a sporting event, and the experience of being down there on the ice is really, I mean, for someone, and I know you see it uh, quite often, DG, but uh, the pace of that game yeah. and the strength and speed of that game, even for folks like ourselves who are around sporting events and really good seats, but working, um, it's really an, an exciting atmosphere, and it's fun to watch what uh, Brenda Moore and company uh, have working despite the loss. Eric Montross joining us on the David Glenn Show. Okay, to basketball, this Roy Williams guy, the Hall of Famer, has been to 29 of the last 30 NCAA tournaments with either Kansas or, of course, for a long time now with his alma mater, the North Carolina Tar Heels. Uh, this is a team that looks like it's in jeopardy in a way that we've rarely seen. What is your assessment of the Tar Heels to this point in the season, and especially given the loss to Georgia Tech on Saturday, but the sound of Roy Williams' voice on Saturday as well, where he just appeared inconsolable uh, and sounded like a coach worrying about whether he can get through to his players even while realizing he doesn't have as much talent as he usually does. Yeah, and, you, you know, I think I'll start with that first, um, which is how how he was in the post game. which, you know, he's a guy that we've always known wears his emotions on the sleeve. And, and I think that it was almost this utter disbelief that his team had just performed in the way that it had. Um, and he just – nobody's used to it. Uh, the fans in the stands weren't used to it. We weren't used to trying to call the game and give some explanation as to how and why that may be happening. Um, but, uh, but it, it is happening and this team is, is really struggling. I think that there are, um, a number of things that you can point to. None of them should be viewed as excuses. I'd rather say that even though that I broadcast for them and played for them, uh, I really think it's more of a, more as an explanation. Um, number one, you, you have to make baskets if you're going to win ball games. And right now this team is just three hundredths of a percent over 40 percent uh from the field that's two point and three point mm. and you know that that's usually a, a decent percentage for a three-point shooting team but but at, at two point percentage it's really hard to win games when you're not shooting the ball at any more than a 40 percent clip um and some of the players that are most capable right now are interior post players and garrison brooks and armando baycott uh, Brooks, of course, had a marvelous game, and, and the heart and uh, attitude that he showed throughout that just gave every ounce of energy, uh, left the court, you know, uh, just thoroughly exhausted. And you had to admire that, even in the face of a pretty uh, poor performance overall as a team. Um, but, but these guys can't pass the ball to themselves. They, they're not bringing the ball up the court. And the defense is contracting because the defense recognizes that there's not a significant perimeter threat. The shooters are not making shots, and so when that happens, there's no reason to extend your defense, gain vulnerability by doing so when you can sit inside and make it really tough on Baycott and Brooks inside. Many times now, those two are not even playing together, and that kind of adds insult to injury uh, because it does become much harder for those that duo to to. Uh, to move when the defense is contracted. So uh, we're starting to get to the tip of the iceberg of why this team is not not performing well. Um, certainly you can also look at some of the rebounding numbers. Offensive rebounding numbers are down. That's been a big offensive boon for these teams, for Roy Williams' teams in the past. 
turnover numbers, meaning the numbers that they are creating turnovers and then turning those numbers into fast break offense. That's easy high percentage offense. Those numbers are down. And so um, all of those things individually you can try to overcome and, and oftentimes can right now because of the lack of the punch that this team has. Um, those things are compiling and snowballing. Eric Montross joining us on the David Glenn Show. The Tar Heels fell to 8-6. and six. And remember, their best wins all came while Cole Anthony was healthy. They beat a top-10 caliber Oregon team. They beat a good Alabama team. They beat a solid Notre Dame team. Uh, without Cole Anthony, they have kind of crashed back to earth. There was the conversation you remember from last year when Zion Williamson at Duke had his exploding shoe. There were questions from some saying, hey, why would a projected high draft pick, who turns out to be number one overall, why would he even mm -hmm. jeopardize his financial future by by returning for the Blue Devils. And Zion and his dad talked about commitment to Coach K, commitment to his teammates, et cetera, and just loving college basketball. Do you know or have you heard anything surrounding Cole Anthony that suggests it's anything but a certainty that, uh, you know, at some point this month on the timetable the Tar Heels laid out, you know, probably late in January, uh, he's supposed to come back. Is there anything more to it than that? No, I have heard nothing more than that. In fact, everything has been echoing from the side of a very positive outlook uh, that it, he is eager to return, uh, as you would suspect. I mean, I think the thing that, that I go back to is really that storyline is, um, and, and it's not unique to Cole, right. but I think uh, we see it more with these top players because, you know, let's face it, there is some risk uh, for, for these guys, but there's risk every time anybody comes onto the court. Um, and and I think that for Cole, he does love the game. It's not generated by him. I think that he's someone who uh, the coaches and players and team have really enjoyed as a teammate with his commitment to the team, with his support of his team when you watch him on the sideline, which is a tough thing to watch to watch your team perform, particularly when you're an impactful player, uh, I would think it would be even more difficult. And he's done a nice job of being very supportive, and he's active in his uh, in, in working to get back, staying in shape, doing what he can in the pool, all the things that are necessary for him to come back in a healthy form. So I think the outlook is very positive from that standpoint. And certainly uh, just that insertion would have some significant uh, uh, ripple effects, to be sure. For when Cole Anthony assumedly does come back, remind us of how the Tar Heels looked while he was running the point, while he was at, what, 19 points per game, one of the highest scoring marks for any freshman in America. Because whereas there was sometimes just individual sensational play, it wasn't quite great chemistry or cohesion you know his assist turnover numbers were kind of out of whack didn't seem like he fit like the prototypical Roy Williams point guard and yet of course he's going to help when he returns are the Tar Heels an NCAA tournament caliber team when they're playing the way that Cole Anthony helps them play well it's a good question and, and I think that there are a couple of aspects to that answer um one, I think that absolutely when when the team is playing well with him in the lineup, uh, it is hard to say that they are not one of the 65, six best teams in the country. Um, I think that this this Carolina team, when they, you're right, when Cole was in the game, when, when he was healthy, uh, this team sometimes was caught staring at him saying, 
create offense. And there wasn't a lot of onus on movement without the basketball. I still think that although there are times when the movement without the basketball is getting better, um, we're still not able to capitalize. With him in the game, it draws that defense. We talked earlier about the inside contracting of the defense um, that's really slowing Baycott and Brooks down. But when he comes back onto the court, the defense absolutely has to honor his scoring capacity, capabilities, and talent. And they're going to they're gonna move out towards him, which will open up a little bit of the inside. So there's the ripple effect from that standpoint. Also, I will tell you, not just from an offensive standpoint, but from a defensive standpoint, if you look at how our team has defended at the point, uh, it's a tough position. Coach has said as much for Jeremiah yeah. Francis, who is coming back on his own, you know, from double knee injuries for the past two years. And he's not fully ready to run an ACC team from the point guard, but he's given his heart and soul, and you admire that. If you're someone who enjoys college athletics, which your listeners are, I am, you are, you enjoy watching somebody who's trying to make it work. It doesn't help when you still lose, but I think that right now for Cole, as Jeremiah gets better and this team gets better, it'll help us defensively also to have someone who is really quick, a very strong defender, not one who has to play catch up off the dribble, not one who has to maybe you have a little extra comp- uh, compensation from your teammates on defense to give more uh, additional help. You won't need to do that as much when Cole Anthony is back in the lineup. Um, and so I think that uh, this team is an NCAA tournament team with Anthony back in. However, I also believe that it's, uh, it would be uh, short-sighted to say that it will be an instant changeover. This team still has a long way to go. Last thing for Eric Montross joining us. And remember, the Tar Heels stay at home after losing at home to Georgia Tech on Saturday. They get Pitt this Wednesday. They get Clemson on the weekend. The Tigers have never beaten the Tar Heels in men's basketball in Chapel Hill. You don't get to use the word never in sports very often. That is a never, at least for now. Of course, Clemson just beat NC State this weekend down at Little John. The Tigers will have making history on their mind as they visit the Tar Heels. Sometimes I'll get asked, Big E, and I wonder your thoughts on this. How does any name brand program like North Carolina end up with a talent deficit? In other words, you know, I compliment Garrison Brooks in many of the ways that you do, even, you know, beyond his great performance against Georgia Tech. We see the NBA talent in Cole Anthony when he returns from injury. Uh, Armando Baycott someday is going to be a professional basketball player. He's not quite ready. O- outside those three, I don't know, above average to special talents by ACC standards, folks look at the Tar Heels roster and see, you know, Justin Pierce and Christian Keeling as transfers, Brandon Robinson and Leaky Black and Andrew Playtech as returning players, uh, and even some of these other newcomers and freshmen, just as kind of ordinary, at least at this stage of their career. How does a Carolina basketball roster end up looking ordinary beyond two or three players? Yeah, well, it's, it's almost striking, and it's been it's a conversation that I've had with a couple people over the course of the past uh, couple of weeks in particular um, because it, it, it is razor thin. And um, whether it's a leaky black that I think we all anticipated could be um, just an incredible player for the team this year, but he's never been quite healthy, uh, which, again, sounds like an excuse, but I still believe that, that it's inside of there. I think that – you expected to see uh, a Justin Pierce. You expected to see um, uh, a Christian Keeling come in and have some more 
instant translation of success on the court. Um, I think it's been a harder transition for a variety of reasons for Christian because he's a smaller backcourt player. He's a little more slightly built than most ACC players in that position. Uh, he has a scores mentality, but it's not translating on the court yet for him. Uh, for Justin Pierce, um, he's a shooter. He's always been a guy whose screens have been run for. Now he's being asked to set screens, find ways to create offense within the offense instead of him being the source of the yeah. offense, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, he's also learning backcourt and frontcourt positions. So it gets hard for him to gel. Uh, it, it, it's a slower process. These guys are still freshmen within the Carolina uh, organization. Now, to your point, and really what you get at is I think that for, for this team, you don't have other big names partially because you didn't expect to lose both Kobe and this year, last year, remember yeah. Kobe White, nobody really thought he was going to go. Then you start looking at back in the you know, in 2015 when, when the, as Coach calls it, the junk starts being talked right. about with the NCAA. That starts affecting your recruiting classes, and all of a sudden the translation with some overachievement with yeah. a Kenny Williams, with a Luke May, but then you start having some underachievement from the classes you bring in, and yeah. here's where we sit. His name is Eric Montross, Tar Heel Sports Network. Be nice to him when you see him out in public. Uh, appreciate the selfies, uh, fun time on the glass with uh, your son Andrew last night. And as always, thanks for your time on the David Glenn Show. BG, anytime. And, you know, we were sitting there last night, and you and I uh, realized that we have something else in common, that you and I both played hockey growing up. That's and right, man. Oh, man, I've got a story. I'm out of time, but there's a funny story about Eric Montross and his hockey career. Can you imagine that? More on that story, more great guests still to come, your best and worst of the weekend. Phone calls, we're glad you're a part of it on the David Glenn Show. Background of the University of North Carolina. We got to win now. Let's don't start looking at rebuilding. Let's don't talk about how bad we are. Let's don't talk about we're not better than anybody. Let's figure out how to win. And that's what we've done. And, and the Coastal, because it's been up in the air every year, why shouldn't we have a chance? Keep it dialed in to the David Glenn Show. Ryan McGee on LSU Clemson and other college football. Jim Zoki on the Panthers coaching search and other NFL. Hour two begins with more of your best and worst of the weekend calls. You can be next at 1-800-849-2761. More of my best and worst to Mike Lupica. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Sports used to be called the toy department. And I said, look at the political scene and, and, and tell me that's any more real or, or more serious than what we see. When people say, oh, stick to sports, who passed? That law. You're listening to The David Glenn Show.